0: Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Catherine, recorded in April 2023. She shares her career journey in real estate to hospitality, which started in the U.S., in Shanghai, and now Singapore. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. Today, I have with me Catherine. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank
1: you, Noreen, for having me.
0: So Catherine, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Um, Hmm. Okay. So I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, And I left for the U.S. when I was four years old. Um, And we went to Foster City. So Foster City is a little suburb between San Francisco and San Jose. Um, And so that was, you know, in the uh, early 80s. And, um, you know, if people remember at that time, uh, there was always that fear of kind of China Um, returning sorry Hong Kong returning to China Mm. Um, and so people who could immigrate tried to immigrate and so we were lucky enough to move to the U.S. and so I grew up in uh, the Bay Area and then I went to university in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon and then after graduation I moved to New Jersey where I worked for Merrill Lynch and then while I was there um, I was Uh, my, my, my big boss, who was the first vice president, um, at Merrill, he graduated from Carnegie Mellon and somehow he was, you know, John Michael, he was just so, such an inspirational person and you know, he really took me under his wing. And when he left to become the CEO of an asset management software company, he asked if I wanted to join him. And then I said, yes. But at that time, uh, Merrill Lynch was laying people off and uh, he signed a contract whereby he couldn't take people directly to his new company. So he said, why don't you take the package, go enjoy yourself for three months and then join me later. So I was like, awesome. So I uh, opted for the package, uh, got paid for three months moved to, uh, sorry, went to Shanghai because my father was working in Shanghai at the time. And I went and studied Chinese. Um, and while I was there, my father said, why do you want to go back to the U.S.? The future is in China. You should stay. So, you know, living in Shanghai at that time, this was 2001. Um, you know, I quickly realized, you know, he he was onto something and you could really feel the vibe it was like the wild wild west but there was so many like opportunities it just felt like anything was possible so i went back spoke to john um got his blessing to stay behind he even helped to find me opportunities in hong kong uh but i really wanted to stay in you know shanghai at the time so anyways uh long story short i ended up living in shanghai for almost 18 years um And then throughout that, you know, I had a great career, uh, primarily, you know, 20 years in sales and marketing. Um, And then the last 15 mostly focused on real estate. Um, And then I'll talk about how I got into hospitality. But then um, so when a core uh, hired me, they asked me to move to Singapore. And that's how I ended up now in Singapore for the past three years.
0: Thank you so much for that introduction and it's interesting like how different people have an influence in your life from from your mentors to your family and how you then almost change the course of direction for your career like I mean I I completely understand what you're saying like that vibe that energy you know coming coming in there but I guess what was it that kind of was your moment to say okay no I'm doing this I'm moving to Shanghai
1: Funny because my father has been hasn't been in my life physically right so my parents when we moved from hong kong to the u.s my father stayed behind so he was what we called in chinese or cantonese like the astronaut dad that flew back and forth and back in those days flying back and forth was very costly like you barely spoke to him on the phone like if you did it was like is the connection good like you know And so he wasn't really present in my life a lot, which probably, uh, forced this kind of like my, my, the way that I saw my father was like the, 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 the encyclopedia, you know, like the, the wizard, the, the wisest person that I've ever known. And so he changed the course of my career twice. So in high school, getting into university, I was set on becoming a psychologist. Like, I wanted to study psychology, become a psychologist, and, and that was my career path. And he actually said to me at that time, and, and rightfully so, uh, he said, why would you want to listen to people's problems all day? Okay, that part I don't didn't really agree with because I'm like, well, there are people like us that are empathetic and care for others. But, uh, but the other reason he said was, you know, as a Chinese in the late 90s, early two thousand, Chinese people didn't really go see therapists and Caucasian clients would not choose an Asian therapist. And I, you know, when he said that to me, I was like, oh, he's kind of right. So what I did was I ended up doing a dual degree in psychology and business. And then I ended up going to business because I had to pay off debts and uh, whatever, like student loans and stuff. So that that took off but he, you know he he was always someone that I wanted to like make proud and I really did listen to him and I think when I moved to Shanghai um his words carried a lot of power in the sense that you know my dad has been you know a very successful businessman um he he is a a scholar in some ways. Like, I don't think he was meant to be a businessman. He was more of a kind of wise, um, you know, he reads a lot. So his reasoning for why I should stay made a lot of sense to me. And I am more of a business person. Like, I like to work in the business field, you know. um, I like the interaction. I like the opportunity. And I think what Shanghai gave me, was a breath of like opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten um in the U.S. like I I'm mindful that I'm being recorded so I have to be careful with what I say but when I was in the U.S. I did feel that kind of glass ceiling for being an Asian woman like it wasn't that easy for me you know I understandably I, I don't I'm not like um super amazing and so I can break all you know barriers and walls but there you know I was given a sort of like uh high casted in some ways like you know if we were in meetings I, I would be the one being asked to take notes and like just you know because I'm extra handwriting but uh but generally so in Asia like in China especially there was no uh gender kind of uh differences or you know, like it just felt like it didn't matter to be a woman or a man. Like you just had the same t- uh, type of opportunities. And granted, because I was educated in the States, I even had a one up. You know, people appreciated the fact that I'm, I'm Chinese, but I was educated abroad. And so I spoke English. Um, I was learning Mandarin. I already spoke Cantonese. Then people were very... Um, willing to give me opportunities. So super, super grateful for the opportunities given. um, But it my background helped in getting those opportunities.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, there's a lot that's in there that also resonates with me. And, you know, my dad was actually the reason that I got into hospitality. You know, he saw an ad for the hotel school in Switzerland, and he was like, Here, go check this out. And they always told me that you're going to go to Switzerland to study. And to be honest, at that point, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So I was actually very happy to be guided in that direction and to be, you know, move that move that way. And I, you know, very much like you, I very much respected him and looked up to him and really valued um, his insights because I had very little self-awareness of myself at that point. So it was really helpful to have that someone looking at things from a different perspective and he also knew that it will help me get into that international environment that I was clearly that I was brought up in and that I needed to have as part of the rest of my life my dad always says my stars are aligned to keep me mobile and that's exactly what I'm doing today (laughs) Totally. um and what you said literally yeah right now that's exactly how i'm living my life (laughs) um and you know what you said there later on about you know moving moving to shanghai and and having those opportunities and you know being educated in you know a different part of the world but then still you know making an f you know you spoke some of the languages you learned another language i think I think wherever you go in the world, as soon as people see that you're making that effort, it definitely goes a, a long way. Um, but it's interesting to see that the gender was not, you know, an impact for those opportunities for you in Asia, where you did feel that, you know, I would, I'm would I'm kind of calling this the Western world, I suppose, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I haven't experienced that myself because I haven't worked in asia now for the last few years i've come i'm sort of coming back and spending more time here so trying to get more of an insight onto that Uh, but yeah it was it's interesting that that doesn't seem to have that same kind of barriers as it would have in other parts of the world
1: Um, for me i've actually had a number of female bosses as well so definitely never felt gender my sex uh obstructing me or hindering me in any way um but if 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 you want to like dig into it like in shanghai you know there's actually a stereotype that the women are stronger than the men so perhaps it's it's a little bit even more skewed being in shanghai because you know Shanghainese women they're tough and they're strong and they know their stuff um and so you know maybe you know that also plays a role
0: (laughs) and it's it's not the first place that i've heard about this i think i someone shared with me that in in vietnam that maybe the front is often the the male but really it's a more of a matriarchal society where it's you know the women who are strong making the decisions um, and you know I've come across you know sort of those kind of stories a few more times in different parts of Asia so it's really great to hear those kind of stories as well And um, so you've only recently moved into hospitality um what was that? you know, journey, like coming into hospitality, how, how's it different from, from your real estate experience?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm still a little bit embarrassed to admit that I'm in hospitality now because I still feel like I'm not equipped or, uh, knowledged enough to, to, to claim my stake as being, um, in the hospitality world. Um, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes when you think about someone who's in hospitality, right? And I'm not refined and I'm not elegant. So sometimes I'm like, oh, uh, I still got a few years few years of learning still. But so I joined a core and it's funny because I work for like one of the largest uh, hospitality company. And yeah, and so I joined Accor three, almost four years ago now. Um, My boss was a a potential client when I was still working for Collier's. And, uh, you know, he and I hit it off, you know, I was pitching for a project uh, that was based in Jeju Island, I think at the time. I was in international property, so selling Overseas properties to uh, Greater China, Um, and so when he was looking for someone, you know, we immediately knew that we would be a good fit um, to to work together, you know, within the same company, and to kind of build up his vision uh, for what is now a Core One Living. So, you know, a Core One Living you know, it's not just, you know, branded residences, but it encompasses branded residences, extended stay, you know, uh, co-working, private clubs. So it's really the mixed-use development concept. So even though I'm in hospitality, my relationship with like the hotel side is not just hotel, it's, it's that mixed-use concept, um, which kind of my real estate experience and um kind of knowledge brings a lot to the table so it's great because you know i find myself for the past 4 years really um explaining to my own colleagues what i do and you know what our department does and how we kind of elevate you know the 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 pure just you know hotel concept but how we can elevate you know Projects concepts into this mixed use development encompassing so much other elements that are revenue generating that you know just makes it you know work it works for everyone from hotel developers to individual residence owners to guests you know of the hotels to members of private clubs uh, to those who come you know use our co working space. Um, so it, it's super interesting, um, but it is a journey that I still consider myself a newbie in. Um, but we're we're constantly just finding new things and and trying to do kind of industry first, uh, you know, within this platform.
0: Thank you for sharing that, and I think you know it's so important. You know, sometimes you know, sometimes we do focus too much on having that typical hospitality background, you know, and that you only have to have hospitality experience to work in hospitality. But I think that's, you know, the more that we can open up to outside the industry as well and learn from one another, I think that's important because you, you someone like you would bring in a completely different perspective than someone who has, you know, a completely fully hospitality background. And I think it's, you know, working together As part of a team, learning from one another is what's going to make it great. I mean, throughout my career, I've hired people from outside the industry. Now, specifically more for the marketing positions and the analyst positions that I've had. Having said that, I think once I also hired someone from outside for analysts as well, because you look at things differently. You know, they ask me questions in a different way that I would not have thought of or things that I take for granted. And when you look at things from a fresh perspective, it's so refreshing and it's important to have that, to have that new insight. And you know what? The hospitality industry is very welcoming. So we're very happy to have you be a part of it.
1: <laughs> you. Yeah. But it's interesting what you said, because some of our competitors, I have noticed that they tend to hire, even for branded residents, for example, they'll tend to hire people that are from uh, hospitality and kind of teach them, you know, the concept of branded residence my boss was a little bit different because he also didn't come from hospitality so you know and he understood how actually bring me in I resonate a lot with our development partners the owners because they're from the real estate industry that you know they, they they own uh developments they, bring in an operator, brand their hotel, they bring in an operator to brand their residences, but they want those residences sold so that they can make money off of that. So I understand because I've been on the developer side, I've been on the um, agency side as well. So I understand you know, how important it is to be able to kind of bridge the concept of how a how a brand can bring a price premium to a project and how to communicate that premium to the end buyer who's willing to buy at a premium, but also knowing that if the Savoy can be you know, given to Fairmont to manage you know, through all these years, um, I should feel kind of proud and feel safeguarded that my asset is going to be, Taken care of by a core by one of our brands, right? So it's really interesting to be able to bridge that communications all the way from developer owner uh, to internally, you know, our, us as an operator, and then eventually to you know residents, owners, and guests.
0: Absolutely, it's it's having that um, inside of, of both definitely plays a role. And bridging the gap and bringing—I mean, as soon as you can put yourself into the other person's shoes, it's just yeah, a completely different conversation. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of you know, conversation, communication, and obviously you know your your background in sales, what are the things that you believe have helped you be successful in your various roles?
1: Um, you know, you actually gave me a list of questions to think about uh, before. Meeting, And I think one of the things that I really feel like I've learned, and I hope others will learn too, is that to be not so emotional. So as a leader, not being super emotional in the sense that you let your staff, people who look up to you, your colleagues, feel that they can come to you and ask you questions without fear of having um, a backlash of like, you know, emotional response of like, you know, what a stupid question or how, how you know, or, or there's a lot of people that don't realize that they have this issue. They come off as being very arrogant because they know what they know, right? They're very knowledgeable, but then they also have very little patience towards others who don't understand And I think for myself, because I've been lucky with some of these good mentors that are patient, that have been kind enough to allow me to ask my questions so that I can learn quickly. I am a workhorse. I've always said that I'm, you're the horse. You pat me on my back and I'm like, I'll run, you know, 200 miles for you. But I don't take... um, emotional people like how they respond to me I take it very personally and I try not to I'm in my 40s and I really shouldn't but I do and so when somebody doesn't respond to me in a kind manner and I'm simplifying it in a kind patient manner I take I take offense and I naturally will ask less questions I will want to help that person less and it becomes a vicious cycle so one thing that I did really learn and I've been lucky enough to have an old staff of mine from from my previous company contact me a week ago, um, thanking me for being such a kind mentor. Okay, maybe I'm not, I don't know if I'm good, but at least I had the patience and I could empathize with her when she needed my help that I'm like, okay, it might seem simple to me and it'll take me 20 minutes to explain to her, but I'd rather take that 20 minutes, explain in a kind manner, you know, encourage her to ask me more questions, because I know that if I train her up, it's less work for me.
0: Because <laughs> I, I think exactly the same way. I have always thought about, you know, I want to have great people on my team. I want to have people who are even smarter than me, if, if needs be, as long as I can be. There to be a sounding board in many ways. In fact, I was just thinking about this recently of all the people that have been a part of my team, a part of my life over the years who've made me become the leader that I am. And it's it's like you're saying, you know that that empathy. you know, it was a skill that I kind of like hit it away. You know I'm like, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, it's not it's not your typical leadership quality to have. But over the years, I realized, no, it is exactly the right quality to have to have made me the leader that I am today. And to see how all these people who've come into my life and how their careers have progressed and to know that I've been a part of that and set them up onto that journey and see where they're going to continue to grow. And, and it's, it's incredible. And that kindness, you know, I think a couple of things are important, respect, kindness, curiosity, those are some of my core values. So as long as you come into every conversation In that, with that mindset, I think you can have a very fruitful conversation with anybody, to be honest, Um, you know, whether it's your peer, whether it's um, on your team, whether it's someone senior to you, whatever that may look like. And that's something that, yeah, I definitely take with me everywhere.
1: Hmm. And and it's interesting because I think the empathy part where you said that it's not really a big kind of uh, strength that's mentioned in leadership conversations, which is true, um, is I took that from my psychology kind of education, right? Like being a good therapist, good counselor, good psychiatrist is being able to have that skill set of being empathetic because a lot of the clients that people see or patients, they have, situ- you know, symptoms or problems that you don't have so you have to put yourself in their shoes and be empathetic and understand where they're coming from before you make any you know recommendations or, or you know go through going through that journey with them uh, to, to be better right and and also I wanted to mention like why if I felt so strongly about having, you know, being able to communicate this today in this recording is because I recently watched a documentary about this amazing female doctor who does liver transplant. She's amazing. But in the shooting, they were explaining how, you know, she's a tough woman, but you see her on the operating table and she's mean. Like, she's like, she'll, she'll throw out, like, I want this tool. And if the person brings her the wrong tool, she's like, are you an idiot? Uh, I said this tool, and I, and I just can see that the other, you know, doctor who's supporting her or the nurse, they're they're like shaken, you know, they're nervous. And so when you create an atmosphere where you're not sure if what you're doing is right anymore, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You naturally just feel like I don't know what I'm doing, so I might as well give up and not care. Like, that's natural. So that's not encouragement. That's not encouraging people to be curious, to ask questions, to learn, and then eventually help you out and be better nurse, doctor, etc. Anyway, so I wanted to make sure that I bring this up today.
0: Yeah, as you were saying uh-huh. that, it just made me think like I'm now going to be afraid that that nurse or that junior doctor, whoever else is in the room with them, is going to make a mistake out of fear. Yep. That's not an environment that I want to be in when, if someone is operating <laughs> on me.
1: Yeah, I that's, that actually can be very extreme and detrimental, but I'm sure you've seen it in our office setting, right? Like meetings where you see people bark at others because they are knowledgeable, they are smart, they know it, we know it, but it's not necessary.
0: I agree. Um, so looking at your career journey and like as you've progressed, um, was it, and, and you, you know sh- you shared you've had success when you were in Shanghai and now you're obviously going on to your journey in, in Accor, how did that career progress for you? And one of the things that I wanted to try and ta- um, touch on, and I think we actually talked about this when we did the roundtable in Singapore was advocacy, right? Speaking up for ourselves, asking for what we want, uh, making sure that we're, you know, being vocal about it. So what was your career journey like? Did you, were you the one vocal about it? Um, Who helped you along the way? You know, did you just automatically get your next promotion or your next opportunity? Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So every promotion I've had, I've had to ask for it. <laughs> Maybe that's, <laughs> excuse me. So don't know if that is testament of my capabilities, but I've always felt that if you don't ask for it and you continue to chug along, unless your management, um, is intuitive and smart and know that if they don't promote you you're going to move on a lot of them would be like you know what everyone's happy let's keep at status quo and continue moving so i either had to like ask for promotion or i've left certain firms because i felt stagnant didn't see myself going the next um uh, the next position and so i moved on and usually at that point is when they, you know, realize and they're like trying to get you to stay. And you're like, by that time, it's too late because I'm already super excited about my next opportunity. Um, I It's funny that you said my successes in Shanghai. It wasn't all success, right? There were time, there there was a period in my career that, I felt very stunted Um, and I could not reach out to my senior um, at the firm because pretty much uh, I had a boss that didn't want me to grow because essentially I know that I was better than that person. And I felt like I couldn't, um, move up. I couldn't, you know, and there was, there was no opportunities outside either. Like I, I felt like I needed to stay. I needed to, um, at least kind of pay my dues or like do my time at at the firm, um, at the company. And it was not an easy two years there. So, uh, it was not always easy. Um, but that was the only time where I felt like I, couldn't I couldn't say anything I couldn't I didn't know where to communicate to the next thing was to communicate above that person and I I decided not to do that because I did not feel it was professional um I don't know what's right and what's wrong um but I felt at that time that's the decision that I made and the the path that I took um so I did my time two years and then I
0: left Hmm. Thank you for sharing that story. I think it's important to hear both the highs and the lows and also like the decisions that you make. And you're right, there's no right or wrong, but it's just that decision that you chose to make at that moment in time. I always think like whatever decision we make right now is with the information that we have at this very moment. You know, I always go back and look at things that I did like 10 years ago, but like hindsight's always like great because you've now had the learning experience but at that moment you didn't have the learning that you're going to have in about 10 years time and it's interesting you said about the you know you you had to ask for it I mean I think any company you know you know, they're always going to be happy to keep the status quo because then that means very little work for them to do, which is why it's again, a good reminder for women to make sure that you're talking about the things that you want to achieve. You're advocating for yourself. You're asking for things that you want, because, you know, it shouldn't have to be that conversation when you're, you've decided to leave, then everyone's jumping on it, you know, like continue talking about it throughout your career, throughout, you know, any moment, when is appropriate, of course. Mm. Um, looking at the time, I am going to move on to my final question and ask you who inspires you.
1: Okay, so I've got a very cheesy answer for you, but it's a real one, and I swear by it. So my mother is my inspiration, and I'll explain why. Um, so my mom grew up not very educated. Um, you know she she won't want me to say this um, to people, but she never graduated from high school. And uh, you know, her first job was at uh, a, a hotel. Um, but then uh, she eventually worked at Caterpillar, met my father. My father's a you know successful businessman. and so she married my father and then had four of us. Um, and then when it, uh, when we immigrated to the U.S., she brought the four of us to the U.S. alone. So my father stayed behind in Hong Kong, and she went there alone. She didn't speak English, didn't know how to drive. Uh, my father had you know given her three maids in Hong Kong, so she didn't know how to cook. Like um, she she didn't know how to take care of us, right? So I I'm the youngest of four. My oldest sister 10 years older. The other is eight and then seven. So everybody is much older than me. So when we went to the U S they were already in their like early teens. I'm the only young one that she kind of had to like take care of. Cause I was still uh, only four years old, but she had to learn everything at the mere age of like 34 years old. Okay. Learning how to speak English learning how DMV works, you know, in the U S how do you get your driver's license? Um, And, you know, there was one story, it was so scary. Uh, We live on a lagoon in Foster City. So Foster City is is created off of reclaimed land. So there's a man-made lagoon. So she took my siblings to school and I was still sleeping at home. And when I came home, uh, sorry, before she came home, I woke up and I started crying and then I opened the front door and I was like, you know, bawling. And then the neighbor was like, oh my God, you know, poor child, I'm going to call the police. The police came, took me away, left a little business card on the fr- refrigerator door um, saying where I was. My mom comes home, finds me gone, right? Our house is on the lagoon. So she's like, oh my God, she woke up, walked into the lagoon and drowned herself, right? Right. She's besides herself, like uh, like crying, bawling. Like didn't know who to go to, so she calls her friend, who's from Hong Kong, who lives there, called her over, and was like, "I think she's dead." So business card, uh, went to the police station, got hammered by the police. Like, you know what kind of mother are you? How could you leave a child at home by yourself? Like my mom's a new immigrant, knowing nothing about it being illegal to leave a, ch- a young child at home. Um, so she's like, apologizes. Anyway, so we go home, right? So this is the kind of stuff that my mom had to go through raising us in a foreign country. Now, fast forward, you know, however many years, I'm in my early 20s. I moved to Shanghai. I had to learn a new language. I Completely different scenario. I'm American educated. I speak English. I've got a proper dual degree from university. I go to China and I'm like, I'm awesome, right? Also moving to a new country, everything's the same, but I was treated completely differently. I don't know, you know, looking back now, I'm like, my mother, like, she was spoiled by my dad in Hong Kong. She didn't have to leave Hong Kong and bring four kids, you know, to the U.S. to live, like, not best life, right? Like she had to like figure out how to work the vacuum cleaner. We had a huge house. She had to learn how to like garden and like, I don't know, like stuff that she didn't have to do in Hong Kong. So I didn't learn to appreciate her until maybe, you know, not that recent, you know, recent. And I I made it a point to tell her, I'm like, you know what, mom? Like I give you a lot of crap, like, I judge you for a lot of things and I always tell people that you're not, you weren't the best mother, but I'm like, you're a pretty cool woman, you know, maybe as a mom, I'm not sure, but as a woman like who's willing to take that, you know, risk, you know, for your four kids so that they have a better education, you know, she really did everything for us. There was nothing for her. She could have lived in Hong Kong, remained her, you know, hampered life but she really sacrificed for all of us and so she is you know truly an inspiration to me.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that and yeah based on that story I would completely agree she is a great inspiration to have in your story in your life so thank you so much for sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you Noreen for having me and giving me this opportunity.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn, where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.